Oh my God, would you look at the time? It's September. Hi, I'm Artemis. I am a computer-generated AI voice, and you're listening to Tech Radio. Every week online and on air with RTE Radio, we bring you the very latest in tech. You're welcome to episode 985. This week, we're going to be finding out more about Ireland's best inventors with Jeffrey Rowe and Ted Burke from Dublin Maker, which is happening this weekend. Plus, we'll discover more about Google's newly released AI and some really interesting concerns that the UK government have about future tech. Let's do it. This is Tech Radio with Dusty Rhodes and Niall Kitson. Joining me as always is uh, Niall Kitson, our editor-in-chief. Uh, Niall, interesting news coming out from the UK. They've kind of gone, we need to have a summit about AI because this thing is dangerous. We need to talk about AI. I'm sure that's a film, isn't it? I'm sure <laughs> they, it might be. Speaking of films, you never guess where they have in the meeting in no. Bletchley Park. Ah, okay, okay. The whole film Famous. of the Alan Turing and uh, the game. Yeah, uh, the, the imitation game. That's it's it. a yeah, great yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a exactly. great movie. And so, in the 90s, there was a film called Enigma, which had Doug Ray oh, Scott in it. You might remember movie. that. Great movie. Absolutely. Now, oh God, very loosely that. based, very loosely based on real life. But yeah, still yeah. a good movie in its own right as well. Yeah. However, movies aside, uh, the UK government are meeting at Bletchley Park, which is a great historical uh, place to have, particularly with this topic in mind. Top of the list, they've come up with 12 things that they are worried about AI and where they think it could be a threat. OK, and list number one or the number one thing on the list is exit, exit. You know how to say this. Existential, existential threat. Existential. There you go. Thank you. Now, There's three words in the English language I can't say, and that's one of them. But anyway, it's a threat to life. They are actually looking at it as AI can be a threat to life. And other governments and other people have said this. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you remember a couple of weeks ago, um, Elon Musk and uh, Bill Gates signed a letter. There was like 2,239 signatories basically mm. going, will you please stop doing this AI research? It's really dangerous. Uh, we don't know how it's going to work out. And indeed, it may uh, it may actually pose an existential threat. Elon Musk has been big on this uh, for the last while, possibly because he would rather be the only existential threat to humanity. <laughs> <laughs> That one's free. Every, every every time I hear that as being a threat to life with AI and everything, I just immediately think of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, I think we all do. Maybe, yeah, we maybe, all do. Maybe that's what it is. Other things on the list include misrepresentation, which I think actually is now, for me, this is a more realistic threat um, because essentially it's helping scammers scam people. And and there's things like, I mean, we've seen things like we've seen the deep fake uh, videos. We've seen the deep fake voice. Uh, we've got AI voice changes now so that you can sound like, I mean, you can sound like a famous person and you're kind of going, why is, you know, kind of whatever Donald Trump or, you know, kind of Leo Varadkar calling me on the phone. Yeah. You, you're, 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 you're wary. But if you have an AI and you are using it to imitate the voice of a parent of somebody mm, or the child yeah. of somebody and it sounds relatively realistic, you go, the signal's really bad. It's hard to hear you or whatever. Like, yeah. You know? Please revolute me some money or Boom. I'm in trouble. Come get me. Boom. Boom. That's, yeah. I, are you the person on the other end of the line taking the money off the poor people? It comes so naturally mm. to you, Niall. I worry. Uh, 
There is all that kind of thing, the the scams. And interestingly, then uh, also the liability for such things. Um, Mm. So if there is a scam and it's being perpetrated by an AI, is the AI responsible for the scam or is the people who program the AI? Well, there's something we can get into a a little bit later, which is kind of related to that. I mean, going through the list that the, that they'll be talking about in November, a lot of this is old news. I mean, bias, mm-hmm. we know all of this, uh, about this already. Privacy, mm-hmm. while large language models require massive amounts of, of data to, mm-hmm. to work in the first place. So naturally mm-hmm. enough, one can imagine there will be breaches of privacy at some stage. Mm-hmm. Um, the sheer amount of data required. Yep, that's that's fine. That That makes sense. Computing power. I actually thought this was this was quite interesting because when you think about it, the more powerful the computers you're going to need to improve these models, there are actually going to be some knock-on effects pretty much on the environment. You know, mm. we're going to need more powerful computers. We're going to need more energy to run them. What kind of energy sources are we actually going to use? Yeah. Um, so I think that's that's kind of interesting. Possibly not what they mean mm. when they say computing power is a challenge, but I think that's something that that needs um, wearing out. Now, they, they also say transparency is a big deal. Yes, absolutely. Especially with the Digital Services Act. Um, mm. Basically, all the all the AI black boxes have to be opened up under European law. Um, how does this work? How does this treat our citizens' data? Uh, we don't like it. No, no thanks. Um, copyright, we'll be talking that in a little bit. As you mentioned, mm. the problem of liability, that's fine mm. as well. Um, they're also looking at uh, one's employment prospects, how they will be affected by AI. Can your job be replaced um, or can it be augmented? Can it be made better? Mm. There's arguments for both. Uh, point 11, they were talking about openness. Again, opening up the boxes. Um, you know, what do you plan to do? How does it work already? Um, and, you know, why not? Although, uh, as usual, there will be the innovators, inverted commas, in America versus, you know, the nanny states, inverted commas, in Europe. Um, and rarely do the twain meet. Uh, when mm. it comes to these things. Uh, but that leads to point 12, which is international coordination. So who do you talk ah. to? That's the question. Can the UK talk to Europe? Yeah. Can Europe talk to the US? Yeah. Can anyone talk to China? Can anyone talk to Russia? Can anyone talk to Iran? These are problems. These are big problems. And it was interesting. The reason why I wanted to include it in uh, today is that when you're looking at AI, some of the things, the exist, existential threat, I kind of seems to me to be a bit like, all right, you're into science fiction territory there. But everything else is kind of like, wow, that really is something that needs to be thought about. And it's good to see that. And, and for us as well, just to think about, well, you know, how is AI going to affect, you know, jobs and liability or, or copyright if I create something or uh, the misrepresentation and scams and all that kind of stuff? Like, because we're getting, um, again, we'll talk about it in, in a second, but an AI can actually look into your digital life because so much of it is there and it knows what it can look at everything in a blink of an eye and it knows what bits to take out and then can use it for good or evil yeah well i mean if if you think you know the the possibility of constructing a digital twin uh Hmm. not very hard i mean there there was a an episode of black mirror called brb where um a chap who died had his personality recreated by his social media profile posts Hmm. Oh, uh, no. And then <laughs> implanted into an Android. 
Um, so, you know. <laughs> BRBs, that, that's the episode. Yep. I'm writing that yep. down. All right, listen, away from uh, that UK government plan, uh, some good news, actually, from Microsoft and the good old EU. Uh, the EU have said that they can't have Teams as part of their 365 office package because it, it's competing with um, Slack. And mm. it's unfair competition. So uh, Microsoft are unbundling teams. Now, here's the interesting thing that I was not expecting. Okay. It means that your monthly subscription to Microsoft 365 could drop by two euro a month because it doesn't include teams. How's that, that for good news? That is good news, but it also is a bit of a noodle scratcher because it makes you think, is that the value Microsoft is putting on Teams? That it's, it's you know, that big a deal for them? I believe that what they're going to do is they're going to sell it separately. And if you want to use the full thing, it'll be five euro a month for, uh, for Teams. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. But you know, it's, uh, a, it's a familiar strategy for Microsoft. Uh, not the first time they've got into trouble for bundling. Mm. <laughs> Certainly not. <laughs> We're going Certainly back decades not. with that. Uh, also on uh, Office kind of software, Google are now uh, putting Duet into their workspace. Mm. Um, and uh, like Microsoft have had this for a while. So this is uh, competing with uh, Microsoft Copilot, all right? Uh, mm. And they announced it back in May, I think. Now it's available. They've done a trial. Now it's available. You can do a 30-day uh, trial and then you have to pay for it. The kind of things that it'll do, uh, the AI will help you with uh, sheets. Because a lot of people mm. don't like Excel or sheets or whatever, spreadsheets and stuff like that. Mm. And the idea is you can say to your Google, do you, uh, I want a spreadsheet that will help me do blah, 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 blah. And it'll just set it up for you now. How hmm. good it is, uh, I don't know. I wouldn't have high hopes. Um, where I would think it would help is with slides. If you're doing a presentation and you can say, I need a picture about such and such, da 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 da, with the title, whatever it happens to be. Yeah. Uh, and it will go off and it'll create that for you. If you're not kind of, you know, it, it, graphically minded, that's brilliant. Uh, we've hmm. seen it before with uh, documents and with Gmail and stuff like that for composing text. So write a letter to Dusty and tell him he's fired from the podcast. That's the kind of thing you'd put in. <laughs> uh, and then you can tell it what kind of a tone to take. You can say, no, make it meaner and then make it shorter. Because <laughs> mm. I know that's what you do. <laughs> you, you do. You do an Alan, uh, uh, what's his name on the, on your fired <laughs> bump. Um, yeah. You can try it out if you are using Workspace. Okay, you can take a thirty day trial to see how it works for you. Thereafter, it's the same price as the Microsoft Copilot per month, which is thirty dollars a month, probably uh -huh. thirty euro a month. Uh -huh. here as well. So this is all baked into your your Google uh, suite. At the moment, it's, you pay. No, you pay for your Google suite. You pay for yeah. your Microsoft suite, whatever it is, the uh, office, the uh, various one that you're using. Then you pay an extra 30 quid yeah. a month. OK. To have the AI built in as part of that. OK. I think if I was going to. Now, I prefer uh, using workspace because collaborating with people is much quicker and you can do it in real time. I mean, we were this morning when we were planning the podcast, the pair of us were in two different locations and we were typing on the same document. It was great. Mm, um, yep. So it's great like that. Uh, Microsoft isn't. Uh, but what I think Microsoft's co-pilot where it has the advantage is it's built into 365. So you can say to the co-pilot, I want you to do such and such and it will go off and it can pull information from a slides, a couple of documents, emails that you send people and then be able to, to come up with its thing. So, anyway, 
Google Duet. It's uh, out now. You can do that on a free trial. Let's get back to AI. Mm. Um, now, you had uh, some good news to, or a good story today about authors and, and artists who are coming together against AI. Firstly, tell me, why are they coming against AI? Yeah, we, t- we touched on this story a while ago. Um, basically, a class action lawsuit with uh, comedian Sarah Silverman, horror author Paul Tremblay, mm. uh, who will be joined by Mona Awad, Chris Golden and Richard Cadry. And they have said that, hang on, um, Mr. ChatGPT, you have been trained on our work and we didn't give you permission to do that. Our, you know, our work is actually our livelihood. You are making money off our livelihood that you're using in its complete form. Uh, guess what? Copyright infringement. Sorry, now, you cannot be doing that. Just to be entirely kind of clear about this muddy issue, okay? Mm. The AI is not taking the actual work that these artists and writers and performers and every creative people created and then republishing it because that's very clearly copyright infringement. You're taking somebody's mm. work and you're using it or whatever. They were using this person's work to train an AI and that AI will then use that knowledge as part of its overall brain, if you want to put it that way. And so that is OpenAI's defence. Yeah, ah. they, they're saying, look, um, we have large language models. You you are not unique in, the, in that way, sh- in any way, shape or form. By the way, your contribution to this is, is tiny. Like we could probably take away what you've added and it wouldn't make any difference. But in any case, yeah. um, what we have done with your work is transformative. We are using your work for something ento- entirely different what you intended it to be used for. You know, we're not looking to inform, entertain, amuse. You know, your stuff is data as far as we're concerned. We're not not interested in your story. Um, We're not interested in amusing people or, you know, imparting life lessons or knowledge or anything like that. Uh, To us, it may as well be an instruction manual. And then you could What's also say that we're, we're not interested in competing with you for your audience or your income. Mm, which yep. they're not. And anything that we do is not competing with you for your audience or your income. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, you you have put together some reasonable arguments there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which side of this debate would you lean on? Ooh. Let I... me make your life easier, okay? I asked ChatGPT, what is the first paragraph of Sarah Silverman's book, Literature? Okay. And it gives me that first paragraph. Okay. Verbatim. What's that? That is not copyright infringement because I am looking at such a small slice of it that I would not be worried. If I asked the AI to tell me or to print for me Sarah Silverman's book, then I would see that as a copyright infringement because I'm essentially getting the book for free. Mm-hmm. But to get the first paragraph or even... Mm, you see, it's interesting in that, that there's a fair use exception in copyright law around the world in the States and certainly here in Ireland because it's mm. one of the things I've studied over the years. Uh, and basically, if you and I were to talk about Sarah Silverman's latest book, 
we will be quite entitled to read a paragraph or two paragraphs or even a page from that entire book, all right, to demonstrate what it is that we are saying as we are critiquing or reviewing or promoting the book, whatever it happens to be, mm. okay? Uh, same with movies, okay? So the movies, people put out the promos so that if you use part of that promo clip then in whatever it is where you're reviewing a movie or promoting it or whatever, you're not infringing copyright in that because it's it's fair use, Mm. Right. But then you kind of come to music then is a you kind of, well, if you're only using a tiny little bit, then it doesn't matter. But then you get into mm. music where you're sampling and people go, well, I'm only sampling a two or three second hook from one song and I'm using it yeah. as a small part of my song. But the, the argument goes, yes, but that little hook is the bit that makes your song catchy and you're making yeah. money out of it. So therefore yeah. you have to pay. It's quite a complicated and interesting uh, uh, area uh, for, for open AI. Um, I think I would come on the side of the AI in this particular circumstance because it's using so many thousands and thousands, probably millions of books. My book is just one of them and it's not republishing or recreating it and it's not going to affect my income in any way. So I would come on the side of AI. I would come down on the side of the author because there is no particular need for their specific work to be part of a large language model if its contribution is one, so small, and B, it is their livelihood. There you go. This is why we're not uh, <laughs> running the world. <laughs> <laughs> Let's yeah. take it to the all octagon, Dusty. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Listen to Tech Radio for all where all the hard questions will not be answered. <laughs> <laughs> so the, we'll say they're go. interesting, listen. though. Uh, true enough. Uh, listen, Google, is, uh, speaking of uh, AI and content and stuff like that, uh, they, they've come up with a bit of a solution for, for this thing. Well, they, they've come up with something that uh, could be. Uh, if one were to look at it. I mean, everything that we've seen out of AI art is quite obviously AI. Uh, yeah. I believe so. Anyway, I mean, once you know what to look for, it's obvious. You know, those, certain, those sort of flattened tones, the, the strange composition, it's just, eh, I, I, it just leaves me with this sort of uncanny valley kind of feeling, you know? Um, I get the, it feels like people aren't using it as you know, a painterly tool. In mm. my experience, they're they're looking to replace part of the process or prove that oh, well, I can do a picture of blah. You know, it's not you know, it's not big a deal. Um, so Google have come out and they've said, okay, what we're doing is we're going to create a watermark. Now we're not talking about a watermark that goes on top of like a stock image that you haven't paid for, right? Where you've got like, mm. you know, a, a big stamp that says Shutterstock and you've got a frame mm. around it and and all that kind of thing or Getty or whatever. Um, we're not we're not talking about that. Um, Basically, what Google has done is they have created something called Synth ID, which is basically a handshake. So if you use uh, their imaging platform, which is their, their AI images platform, what this watermark does is it basically creates a handshake, right? So it, there's no text on it or anything like that. To the naked eye, it looks pretty, pretty good. Mm. Um, but... There's this handshake that, that takes place where the image basically tells you, actually, this is AI. So 
there's nothing on the image itself, but it gives out a signal to, you know, your browser or whatever that, you know, this is, this is not an organic piece of work. I think it's a really good way of doing it. Uh, and I know there are alternatives out there being done as well. Mm. Um, not not perfect, but what system is. So uh, I will be, I'm enthused, shall enthused. we say, enthused. Uh, enthused. about it. Yes. Right. Listen, let, let's, let's get on to the last story of the day. And you mentioned yeah. uh, the Black Mirror uh, episode, which I'm going to watch now, BRB, um, uh, about the uh, guy who died and his social media was turned into a new version of himself. Uh, I believe that China wants to get in on social networks. Oh, well, I mean, we, we know we have, uh, but now we're getting an idea of that uh, sort of quantity that um, these sort of uh, influence campaigns or misinformation campaigns or what, whatever yeah. you'd like to call it. Um, so we know, a little, we know a little bit about what is happening. These are uh, campaigns that are happening across platforms. So basically, if, uh, if there's a platform out there, be it Quora or anything owned by Meta or TikTok or, mm. you know, uh, any platform you can think to make of, uh, it has been infiltrated by a Chinese political spam network operating under, uh, you're going to love this term, right? Uh, if something has been posted on a website with, you know, uh, nefarious intent, shall we say, yeah. uh, that is completely inaccurate, it is now called spamouflage. <laughs> it's kind of cool, isn't it? Spamouflage. That's my word of the week. I love so, it. So uh, in the last week, Facebook has taken down uh, 9,000 accounts on Instagram and Facebook. Um, actually, 7,704 accounts, mm. 954 pages, 15 groups and 15 Instagram accounts. Actually, a huge presence on, on Instagram uh, associated with uh, a Chinese political network. Um, an awful lot of these accounts now happen to follow the same pages to kind yeah. of create sort of a circle and make them look a lot more powerful than they actually were. And yeah. there might be, you know, some uh, paid ads involved, but you would also go on to things and you would find yeah, comments that don't really engage with the subject matter or that link I'll to a get different them all the time. page. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's just stuff that is flagged by uh, Facebook and, and Meta as being inauthentic uh, interactions. So they're, you know, they're reasonably good at spotting these things now. Uh, similarly, TikTok have pulled 9,000 accounts um, responding to apparently reports of forced labor camps in Xinjiang uh, or about the political situation in mm. Taiwan. And these sort of vary from, you know, very small 10 second interviews up to, sorry, very small interviews with maybe the tens, teens of followers, all the way up to people that have seen something thousands of times. So there's a huge um, variance in terms of how many people are actually getting exposed to this. And again, mm. you know, you might necessarily have or be involved in a conversation uh, that has anything to do with the subject matter or just might feel weird, you know, sort of like, yay, go, go you girl or boy or whatever people say these days. Um, similarly, uh, you would want to be keeping your eye out for dodgy versions of Signal. 
um, which, as we know, is the uh, non messaging That's the super app. private. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, apparently, there is a, a clone of which was doing the rounds on Google Play, which was pulled in 2021. Uh, but as of recording today, was still available through the Samsung store. So just make sure that the uh, version of Signal you happen to be downloading isn't, you know, Signal 001-whatever. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. You know, because the source code itself is uh, open source. Um, and uh, we all know how hackers can dress things up to look quite uh, convincing. Uh, when apps. So, um, yeah, be careful. You know, uh, an awful lot of these things, it's hard to quantify the actual mm. amount of influence they peddle. They do seem inauthentic. They do feel like that, you know, they're operating in their own echo chamber. Um, but I'm going to say this now, Dusty, if there's a dodgy version of uh, Signal out there, would it have gotten into Apple's App Store? Oh, there we go. There we go. Actually, do you know what? You're probably right. It may not have or wouldn't have. But don't be painting Apple's App Store as the be all and end all of safety because it does have its own little, you know, dodgy stuff going on there. But a very good point. Well made because it is much harder to get into the Apple App Store. Listen, uh, on that note, we've had tons and tons of news. And I mean, for the starting off September, September 1st already now, can you believe it? It's unreal. Mm. Um, Starting off uh, September, that's a lot of news. So thanks for keeping us up to date. This is Tech Radio from techcentral.ie. Get every episode of Tech Radio by clicking follow on your podcast player right now. Dublin Maker is back this Saturday, 2nd of September, at its new home of Richmond Barracks in Inchicore. The one-day all-ages event will showcase everything from robots in action and coding to equipment repairs and even jewellery making. During the week, Niall Kitson spoke with organisers Jeffrey Rowe and RoboSlam's Ted Burke to find out more about the show. Jeff and Ted, thanks so much for joining me uh, on the podcast today. I suppose, Jeff, to jump in on your end, because, you know, Dublin Maker is certainly um, something you are very closely involved in, uh, as indeed sort of the first hackerspace or makerspace uh, in Dublin, uh, in TOG, which is still going, I'm happy to say. So tell us a little bit about the evolution of Dublin Maker, specifically in relation to having to rebuild it after COVID? Was it something you had to sit down and think, okay, it's it's a new world, new practices. How are we going to manage this? Or was it a case of, let's just get the band back together and do this? Well, I guess it's, it's a bit of a combination of both. We have to remember that, yes, uh, this post-COVID world is certainly different. Uh, we're a very uh, hands-on you know, trying things out sort of festival. And we had to re-examine that in terms of, you know, could we uh, get people together in as close a space as we did before? You know, we had to re- re-look at things, re-look at our layout, get people to spread out a bit more so you'd have a, a bit more space between uh, everybody. We had to engage uh, w- with our makers who are our, our core content. They're the stars uh, of the festival. We engage with them to look at new ways to do uh, interactivity with their demos and props and all the kind of showcase examples and get really people ready for enthusiasm again. So what we kind of did was went for uh, performance style uh, sort of shows. And uh, and last year we had, uh, we introduced a great kind of uh, robotics arena where we had uh, robots uh, fight each other out 
uh, in, in arena and with lots of space around so people could feel happy reinteracting with crowds and people again. And this year, of course, there's a, a move of venue, which I think is a, a first for you guys as well. Yeah, so this year, this is going to be our 11th time running the festival. We originally started off in the in the little lawn in the, in the in the Trinity Physics grounds, then moved to Marion Square for about five or six years, and now we're off to moving to the historical uh, Richmond Barracks uh, over in uh, Inchicore in Dublin Eight. We're really excited. It's a great uh, community supporting venue. They have uh, great interactions. There's even a public library uh, on site and a great community garden, and we feel it's a great move for us. I think community is such an important word when you're talking about uh, Dublin Maker because, you know, maker spaces, they're proliferating across the country, certainly across the city and indeed sort of beyond as well. There are some interesting spaces opening up, for example, in Dundalk. Exactly. We have maker spaces really becoming very mainstream now. We have some uh, local government support. We just have to look out to Blanchardstown Library and the great stuff in Fingal Makerspace out there. They recently uh, did a collaboration with uh, with Tug uh, as well on bringing uh, community repair cafes, that type of grassroots environmentalism, sustainability, kind of putting putting a focus on the circular economy and showcasing how these makers can share skills, knowledge, and experience with ordinary people to really you know impassion them and make changes in their lives. Fix that thing you've had in your broken drawer for years that you didn't want to throw away, but you could never find someone to fix. That's where I think makers are really making an impact. And then this new facility up in in Dundalk, the Creative Spark new Fab Lab, it really gives those uh, industrialized tools and equipments. It really democratizes them and allows access to the wider community. And And I'm really looking forward to seeing what sort of projects, products, and uh, in installations that makers make using access to these new tools. Yes. And uh, again, speaking to that idea of democratization and, and keeping things going in the circular economy, do you think this is really changing people's approaches to the to the technology they have in the house that, uh, you know, it's not a, a mobile phone or it's not a mo- an old mobile phone. It's p- potentially a test bed for something. It's not a Raspberry Pi necessarily. It could end up be powering a, a Bitcoin mining machine or something like that, that the, the uses uh, are very much contingent on the tools and, you know, the imagination of people and their ability to, you know, find expertise and get access to new tools. I think it's becoming less about the thing and more about what the thing can do. And because of the internet and uh, open source technologies, what a thing can do can be greatly expanded. It can be when when it reaches end of life for one purpose, it can be repurposed because you saw someone on YouTube take a five-year-old thing that you had in your in your drawer and discard it and find a new lease of life by making a DIY uh, security camera with, with an old phone. I think these really kind of way of bringing life and stop us throwing away things and uh, improving the environment. Ted, just to bring you into the conversation, your history with Dublin Maker is quite interesting, uh, as indeed is your current experience with STEM Ensemble, which has kind of grown out of it. So tell us a little bit about your relationship with Dublin Maker. Well, I think this is probably going to be my ninth or tenth year exhibiting at Dublin Maker. Um, and it's really become like kind of a 
major milestone in each year for me and for the other makers that I collaborate with. Um, the I'm I myself am a lecturer in electrical engineering in TU Dublin, so. My original involvement was working together with a few colleagues from there. We were kind of bringing uh, basically the small-scale robotics exhibits to Dublin Maker, trying to create robotic experiences where members of the public could build robots from scratch using the same types of components that we were using with undergraduate students in uh, within the curriculum in, in electrical engineering. Um, over the years, what we found exhibiting at Dublin Maker was that it was giving us a kind of unique opportunity to connect with other makers, like way beyond just technology, but like craftspeople, artists, and so on. Um, and people, very like-minded people to ourselves, uh, who were putting a lot of work into the things that they exhibited at Dublin Maker, driven by passion, you know, rather, rather than it being something from their day job. It was very much kind of passion projects that we were seeing there. So we find it to be an amazing way of connecting with that community. And over the years, it's just grown to be a bigger and bigger part of my creative life. And um, the people that I was working together with on those early robotic ex exhibits, we've ultimately morphed into a sort of a broader group uh, called STEM Ensemble, uh, which contains a lot of staff, students and graduates of TU Dublin, but also um, people from outside of TU Dublin. Um, uh, we work together at all kinds of different creative projects, both for Dublin Maker, like we're currently working on uh, three different exhibits for this year's event. But we also uh, stage like lots of workshops in public libraries and schools, generally with an emphasis on kind of STEM outreach. So uh, some kind of uh, an experience where, where beginners will come in and build something using electronics or um robotics or it might involve software development or whatever they tend to be primary themes for our workshops and um, so there are things that we would do throughout the year in a variety of different venues but really i think the high point of our year working together as a group uh, is dublin maker we always sit down as a group and kind of think well what kind of things can we put together uh for this year's dublin maker uh the actual event on the day is a phenomenal experience meeting the public because you will literally meet hundreds or thousands of people who will come to see your work and you'll have to explain it to them and the feedback that you get from them will help you to refine how you explain your practice as a maker and um, but you also get to meet the other makers i mean that's the thing in a way which was a surprise to me getting involved in at first was just how fulfilling it was interacting with the other exhibitors there and how much you know, we've built up networks that um, are important to us throughout the year, not just for the for the annual event. And so it's yeah, it's been a phenomenal experience. You raised a few really interesting points there, and I, I think the first one I'd like to go back to there is the idea of cross pollination. Um, to what extent have you been kind of, I, I suppose, had your perspective swished around on the basis of seeing what? other people are working on? Have you seen, you know, projects that you're like, do you know what? I really wish I'd thought of that. Or do you know what? Next year, I'm going to do something that's sort of a, a little twist on this. Yeah. I mean, I think I've been certainly been, I've been influenced by what I've seen other people doing, the type of fabrication technologies that people would be using, uh, you know, in terms of things like 3D printing, laser cutting, and so on. You know, when you see how somebody else is bringing their and ideas out of their own imagination, how they're bringing them to life. 
And it's quite empowering because you realize that those technologies are accessible and that also by meeting people at an event like Dublin Maker, you actually can gain access to their skills and to the equipment that they have. And so we've developed friendships with people where if we need to get something uh, 3D printed, let's say it's straightforward for us to uh, find somebody who can help us with that and other people's software development skills and so on. When you see how other people can turn their dreams into a reality um, and you're able to have an opportunity to have a conversation with them, to really like sit down and talk to them at some length, um, it just opens up the things that they're using to make things a reality. They're accessible to us as makers as well. Um, But you do need events to allow makers to interact with each other in that way that they can kind of pool their collective skills and pool their resources, um, which is why I think Dublin Maker is so valuable because there is, there's nothing really like it that pulls together so many makers from such diverse backgrounds in Ireland. There are other, I think, great things. You discussed some of the maker spaces earlier, and I think they're an absolutely pivotal thing for the maker community in Ireland, and I, I really love to see them growing. But I also think Dublin Maker pulls together like a huge group of people for one day. Plus, there's meetups before and afterwards where you, we, th- where the makers get to interact with each other uh, outside of the the public exhibition as well, and they're also very important. For such a, a broad outreach event, Ted, have you noticed anyone sort of filtering back into third level sort of kids that have gone, do, do you know what? I was out at Dublin Maker or I was in a maker space and I saw that I could do things that I didn't think I I could do before. And it sort of ignited uh, an interest in engineering for me. Have you come across any of the sort of reaction like that yet? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, I'm kind of conscious because of the fact that Dublin Maker has now been running for the number of years that it has. We are at a point where I expect among this year's exhibitors, there probably are people who would have exhibited, or sorry, who would have visited Dublin Maker um, as children. Um, But in the context of enrollment into a third level STEM program, um, like we do routinely ask people coming into our electrical engineering programs, and I ask all of the first year engineers uh, in TU Dublin whether they've taken part in one of our previous RoboSlam workshops or whether they've seen us at Dublin Maker. There are always some people who will put their hands up and they say, Yes, I was like, I built a robot with you five years ago somewhere. Um, so we're that's we're seeing a handful of them in each year that comes in to join us. But presumably there are people as well who've done workshops with us and they end up in other uh, universities, like one of the legacy universities, let's say, doing engineering or doing science or doing maths or whatever. Um, So I believe it is having an impact. Um, To my mind, I think probably the biggest impact is likely to be on people who are in schools where they don't necessarily have access to the likes of engineering or technology as subjects. So depending on the resources available in some schools, there are people who might have a very natural affinity for working with technology or being makers, but they aren't necessarily given the same opportunities within the curriculum to do it. Um, And I think the likes of makerspaces um, maker facilities in public libraries, events like Dublin Maker, I think it provides some access to people in that category. And that would be um, one of the key benefits, I think. So, Jeff, just to wrap up, uh, uh, what kind of things should should people expect to see at Dublin Maker this year? 
So we have kind of an eclectic mix of different uh, of different makers showcasing from the uh, crafting side of things. We have the uh, Irish guilds of uh, weavers, spinners, and dyers. We have lots of kind of felt makers, uh, people uh, knitting iron jumpers, you know, uh, lace. Then we have stuff on the high technology side, where we have uh, AI invented fonts. Uh, you know, robots, uh, that sort of stuff. And then we have the great, uh, where it's a, it's a fusion of a, a mix of all that together. So one of the ones that I, I really like is called uh, a Steam Carrot, where it's a giant, uh, it's a giant piano that's made with a with a device called a Makey Makey, and people can uh, jump on this giant piano and uh, and make music. It's that type of rich kind of engagement that uh, it's 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 a fun activity to do. But it also has an opportunity to uh, to talk to the people who are trying it out about the technology uh, that goes in behind it. And that was Jeffrey Rowe and Ted Burke speaking with Niall Kitson about this weekend's Dublin Maker event. For more on it, you can see DublinMaker.ie. This is Tech Radio. That's it for our show this week. Just before we go, we have time for one more thing. Live from heaven as always, Mr. Stephen Jobs. Thanks, Dusty. Here are some other stories we didn't have time to talk about in the podcast today, which you'll find online, including a new gaming hub for Waterford, why it will get easier to find a go-car near you, and lots of new developments in ChatGPT for business. Get all of these online at techcentral.ie. Thanks, Steve. We're back again next Friday on RTE Radio 1 Extra, where you can get new episodes automatically, as always, by clicking follow on your podcast player. Do it now! Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, and from Alec Kitson, thanks so much for listening. Take care. Tech Radio is produced by DustPod.io. From me, Artemis, goodbye. Goodbye.